Around the world, scientists and entrepreneurs are integrating abundant renewable energy to invent a better future that is healthier and more affordable. That's all good news for the planet. This is Entrepreneurial Journeys, a podcast about entrepreneurs providing solutions to social and environmental challenges across the world. My name is Emma Kloppert, and over the next episodes, I'm going to take you on a global tour to meet these impact entrepreneurs from the cities of Central Africa to the coasts of Europe. How have their companies been built? Which problems are they trying to solve? And what are the honest personal stories behind them. In this fourth episode, my guest is Willemijn Peters, founder and director of Serious Business. And yes, that's serious as in the sea. Every minute, a garbage truck filled with plastic enters our oceans. Willemijn wants to prevent this plastic pollution at the very source and bring this number down to zero. Together with her team, she creates mind-shifting solutions for circular plastic use, running award-winning projects with the biggest companies and governments in over 16 countries. I was just thinking, well, what can I do? Because the thing I am good at is changing companies' behaviors, but then making that link with how you can prevent plastic pollution on land together with companies in order to keep uh, the ocean safe and and flourishing, uh, that for me was a real eye-opener. It's an incredible ambition, of course, that requires a fundamental change of the economy. And as in every episode, before the interview begins, we talk with an expert first about the opportunities that lie ahead, the challenges we have to face, and the role entrepreneurship can play in contributing to the biggest transitions of our time. Over to... Hi, my name is Michel Scholte and I'm the director and co-founder of Impact Institute and TruePrice and also the elected minister of the new economy. A new economy. That sounds like just what we need. But what does it entail? The new economy is an economy in which work, entrepreneurship, innovation and technology lead to broad prosperity for all. That includes um, the abolition of poverty and the abolition of the destruction of the natural environment, but also the creation of well-being, value through beautiful products, um, happiness, and all sorts of uh, nice things that you can find in markets. Sounds um, almost like a dream. What are the most important things we need to accomplish to get there? The most important thing is that we address the societal costs that arise from the production and consumption systems globally. Think of the carbons uh, that are emitted through um, the burning of fossil fuels, for example, that lead to uh, uh, climatological disaster at this moment, at this very moment, but also the uh, chemical pollution, the uh, antibiotics, the um, uh, pesticides, but also the plastics that uh, are uh, everywhere um, from the bottom of the ocean up to the highest mountaintops. There's microplastics everywhere, even in our blood vessels. And... um, you know, we need to address those costs and uh, internalize that and make sure that we account for them, that we pay for them and that we um, reduce them through restoration, compensation, prevention, but also retribution. Now, this episode, we're focusing on the world of plastic. Yeah. Um, how can you relate the 
concept that you stand for uh, to circularity and specifically plastic? Plastics uh, industry is a huge scam. Uh, we don't account for the cost to society when it comes to a particular virgin plastics that we buy on massive scale still. It's kind of uh, a relatively cheap thing to bring into the market uh, because it's a massive industrial um, insulation. It's almost impossible to compete, to outcompete against those um, kind of producers, against that uh, virgin plastic. And that's uh, a very unfair uh, game also because these social and environmental costs are not accounted for, they're not paid for. You know, if we have a true price, we can actually show those environmental costs on the level of products and these kind of bio-based alternatives, the more sustainable plastics or recycled um, kind of um, uh, forms of plastics, they become much more competitive. And I'm not saying at this moment that you can actually say it will be cheaper, but for sure the business case will be much stronger. And in many cases, it may actually be cheaper if you look at packaging, for example, and you know the enormous um, societal cost due to these uh, plastic um, plastics that that are land uh, are kind of in the uh, economy. I do think there can actually be some cases where it's actually cheaper uh, to have sustainable plastics. If there is one thing about everything we spoke about or mm -hmm. everything you know that you would want to get out there in this world, if there's one thing that I would love people to know is that we have true costs behind the products that we make and to solve that there's actually an innovation agenda there's technology there's all sorts of solutions and uh, that is the foundation for entrepreneurship so there's a lot of opportunities to actually address those challenges so that's what i want people to kind of uh, take take home Someone who definitely sees a lot of opportunities and is contributing to this new economy is Willemijn Peters, founder and director of Serious Business, an award-winning company helping businesses, governments and NGOs with mind-shifting solutions to reduce plastic waste. A businesswoman, inspiring public speaker and also advisor to the United Nations Environment Programme. As a young kid, she tells me just before the interview, she grew up amongst the rivers, seeking adventures, jumping streams and scraping knees. Her love for nature started young, but it took her years to finally start following her passion for the ocean. It all started with a job as a business controller at a multinational. That sounds a bit different, so let's hear which road she took and how it all led up to serious business. Yeah, so it sounds a bit strange after what I just talked about right now, right? How I'm really enjoying nature and then I end up being a business controller at a multinational. Uh, for me, I uh, finished a few studies. So I uh, studied languages, which made me enjoy a couple of internships abroad, different cultures, different type of people. I really enjoy that still. Uh, but um, it wasn't enough for me. I wanted to really... Yeah, build something. I'm a builder. So after 11 years in sustainability and working with frontrunners in business, uh, I knew that I was good at changing companies' behaviors. Uh, just at a certain point, I felt also that corporate social responsibility, as we put it, so um, people, planet, and profit, mm -hmm. a combination of those three, was really interesting. And it was uh, what I was getting excited about, but it didn't, it didn't move me as much as anymore as in the beginning. So I really wanted to go back to my passion uh, and, and see what was there that would really drive me even more. So again, I quit my job 
And I thought, okay, I have the answers in me. I need to go talk to someone who can ask me the right questions. Yeah. So I went to see a job coach and she asked the right questions. And um, turned out that my passion for the ocean, which I thought was just an area of interest, like some people like soccer, some people like fast cars. I just happened to love the nature and the world around me. I thought my passion for the ocean as a major ecosystem of our Earth was just uh, an area of interest, but it turned out it was much more than that. It's a deep passion, a deep concern as well. And um, at the same time, I felt like um, one of the major challenges for the ocean is plastic pollution. Nobody wants to have this uh, as yeah, uh, as pollution out there. And yeah. even the brands that you see on the packaging that's in floating in the ocean, they don't want it to end up there either. So I thought this is a missed opportunity. Nobody wants to have it there. So I, I think there should be someone upstream, not cleaning the oceans mm -hmm. on the surface, but really upstream on land, working together with those companies to change their behavior. At the core. At the core. So really having a change in their operations. So plastic is not being used only once, but it's being kept in the economy and outside of the environment. Yeah. And that's what I had been doing for 11 years, changing companies' behavior. So you knew what you were getting into. I knew what I was getting into and still I didn't want to become an entrepreneur. I was, a I was bit just going to ask, because you said you're a builder. Yeah. So was entrepreneurship something that you would have envisioned for yourself at no, the time? No, not at all. Actually, a few friends of mine had already told me for a couple of years, you should become an entrepreneur. You have such an entrepreneurial spirit. And I really, I, I didn't want to go for it. I was quite hesitant. I said, no, it's not for me. There's like two big pitfalls I'll do, totally fall for. I, I don't want to go for it. Um, and What's the pitfalls? I thought, well, for me, it's going to be, I don't know, knowing, knowing, having no boundaries. So don't stopping. Like I, if I'm passionate for something, I really go all the way. And the other one was, I, I thought I'm going to be lonely as an entrepreneur. Uh, well, the second one definitely was not the case. I'm working a lot together, even more so than I was before. I think if you want to have um, a company that is has, has a mission to prevent plastic pollution, uh, yeah, you're not on that mission alone, so you need to always collaborate. So I'm not alone, uh, but yes, indeed, I am. Unstoppable. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> unstoppable. Some people also give me this hashtag on the social media, hashtag unstoppable, because I do not stop. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Um, I need to put in some boundaries for myself, so I do stop. Yeah. Because everybody needs to rest a bit and relax and gives you time to reflect. Uh, but it's really hard to stop uh, working if you're like so passionate about yeah. results. Because in being unstoppable is often applauded. But as you say, like we need to stop sometimes. So... Um, where is that balance for you? Like, how do you make sure that you keep the balance? Yeah, so I've crossed that balance once before, so crossed that boundary. So now I can really see the results much more quickly. I, I see, the, like, body signs and stuff, so I know when it's really time to stop. But before I get there, I make sure usually that, that I have a couple of things built in in my mm. agenda or in my personal life that makes me balance out things even more. Because you say I've crossed the boundaries once before... Um, what happened or what was the phase that you were in at that time? Yeah, I think where there were a lot of uh, things happening at the same time, both in my personal life and my working life, that made me want to push the envelope even more. Mm. And of course, I didn't stop. So I totally uh, missed any signs my body were giving me. So um, I ended up having a burnout for mm. quite a while. And then I knew what it was like to not being able to do what you really want to do and you feel tired a lot. So I had to take a rest and 
um, really experience what it was like to listen to your body and listen to signs that it is giving so you can balance things even better. So having that time off for yourself, taking a rest. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it sounds like that even before you started the business, you already have been quite a through quite a personal journey um, before it started. Um, but as you say, in hindsight, like, would you say that it was all necessary to to get where you are now and maybe to be able to uh, achieve what you're achieving now as well? I think so. For me, at least it does. Um, I feel like because being the person I am and not stopping because I'm enjoying my work so much, otherwise I would have had this experience anyway because I'm bringing myself into the game, right? Uh, yeah. And as an entrepreneur... Um, I find things much harder than when you're just like being employed because, um, yeah, it's, at the end of the day, it's all up to me. I need to make the decisions. I can determine for myself, like, how long am I going to work? Am I going to go for this opportunity or not? So I should be the one determining my own boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I learned that lesson before because otherwise this journey would have been much harder. Um, could you tell me a bit about what planted the seed of you set it, setting up a serious business? What was really the problem you saw and, and what was the moment that you thought that is something that I'm going to jump into? Yeah, I think for me it was, again, a few things coming together. Um, I saw, I, I, I read the news obviously about a guy wanting to clean up the ocean and the ocean cleanup trying to filter out the plastics that are out there. Um, and I, I had read and, and, and seen as much uh, about the ocean as I possibly could. So I knew that's, that's going to be really, really hard to not get out sea life and filter out plastics. Why are you doing it at sea? That doesn't make sense. And then I watched a TED Talk from Sylvia Earle, who's my personal hero. Uh, she's a very uh, a lady at a very um, um, old age, but still very vital and still very successful in inspiring others and showing the beauty of our ocean. Um, she is has really triggered things for me and made me set up my own business in this sphere. And I said it helped really helping to spur that thought. Like I should be doing something about the ocean, not just being concerned uh, and maybe donating my money sometimes if I have any leftover towards that that purpose. Mm -hmm. But really putting my working life to that purpose and that she she just showed how the ocean is in peril, how much plastic is ending up in the ocean and I was just thinking, well, what can I do? Because the thing I am good at is changing companies' behaviors. But then making that link with how you can prevent plastic pollution on land together with companies in order to keep uh, the ocean safe and, and flourishing, uh, that for me was a real eye-opener. My job coach definitely helped. She gave me a nudge and said, well, I'm sorry, I just saw how much this moved you. There is no other way. You should go this. and you need to do this. There's and nothing I wish else. Sylvia knew what she has, what she set in motion, like for you. Like it's such a yeah. Well, actually, I was I was in. Um, <laughs> I was just did you meet her? I did. I actually oh, wow. met her a couple of times now. I met her when I was two months into my business, and I organized, I hosted, and moderated a workshop for the IUCN in uh, in Monaco with lots of businesses, and she was there. And I saw her and it totally took me by surprise. And I thought, if we don't go up and talk to her yeah. and tell her what she'd made me do, I'm going to regret this. So even though it moved me and I thought it was like scared as hell to walk up to this very small lady, <laughs> I did it nonetheless. And she was like, she's the nicest person. So she was like, really like, oh, that's great. And I hope you do well. And I hope we run into each other much more. 
But I think it's quite brave that you that you you know in that split second also went up to her. Um, is that something which is part of your character? Do you always just do you always think I'm going to regret this? Let's just do it, or, or are you or are you also sometimes held back by um, by fear? And and do you have moments that you have regretted not? Yeah, you know, I think there's been things. a couple of times in my life that I regretted things that I didn't do. So <clears throat> those help me in mm. moments that I feel like I need to hold, like I'm holding back yeah. or something. Like that's not going to happen that, again. Yeah, that's not going to happen it. again. But also I've had training as well with um, talking about the voice in your head that's always holding you back. The voice in your head that tells you, mm, who are you? You may not be, you're only really small compar compared to them or... Yeah, th th this is voice in your head. I think it's in everyone's head that tells you like, yeah, just act normal and don't, yeah, don't make it so big. You're, wh what can you do? And I've decided not to listen to that voice. Was that difficult? Yeah, I think it's difficult. Yeah, but at the start, but at a certain point, it gets into your, yeah, it gets into, uh, yeah, just into your system and makes it more natural for you to not hold back. Yeah. Because um, I also learned if I'm holding back, Who's going to stand up for this big purpose I have, right? I, I cannot afford to hold back because I think this is so important. Everybody should move on it. So that makes it because the, mm. the goal and the purpose is so much bigger than me. Yeah. I cannot afford to hold back. Yeah. Who am I to say that I am not to work with Unilever, Nestle, Mondelez? Mm. Because I'm only, who am I? I'm this girl who grew up in the river, like close to the rivers, climbing trees. And they are the big multinationals. They have all the expertise they need and they have all the money they need to make a change. Well, guess what? I did not hold back and now they're all my customers. So I think that really shows <laughs> that if you're not holding back, you can do anything you want. Yeah, that's amazing. So um, let's get a bit more concrete about what your company is doing. Could you just in a nutshell tell me uh, what exactly it is that you do? Yeah, Serious Business helps major brands and retailers to make their plastic use more sustainable. We focus in on packaging, furniture and consumer electronics, so three major sectors that use plastics, and help companies to avoid plastic waste, basically. So either have sustainable alternatives for plastic, or reusing plastics, or making sure that plastic is effectively being recycled. That's very clear. You must have pitched that more often than, than once, I'm guessing. Indeed, indeed. And I improved uh, my pitch over the years because every time you learn and yeah, I think this is basically the core, the core of yeah, what we do. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So how many cl uh, clients have you um, have you had up until now? Um, that's a lot. I know we do about 20 clients a year mm. um, and some are reoccurring, so they're they've had like several contracts uh, af year after year because they are very happy and there's just a big job to be done especially for retailers they're not just they have many types of packaging and yeah. different challenges so we help quite a lot of about 20 retailers in Europe um, and some are just one-offs that we help companies for half a year and then they know what they can do and they can bring it on themselves so uh, it's about 20, but as I said, like I started with just a few and the impact is growing. My team is growing, so I expect to do many more per year and yeah. soon. And could you, um, could you give me an example of a project with a company that you've been very proud of? Just to give us an idea of, uh, of what that looks like. Yeah, I think what I'm especially proud of is one of the projects I started with. Um, because as you could maybe tell from my background, I'm not a plastics expert. Uh, I do not much do not know much about polymers or uh, design. If I draw something, I even have to explain to my kids what I'm drawing, because <laughs> I think my cow looks very, 
very like realistic, <laughs> but they think it's a dinosaur. Okay. So I have to really explain what I'm doing, which makes it also easy for me because then I make shows me I really need a design engineer in my team. I need a plastics uh, expert in my team, and that's what I did at the start. So collaborate because I didn't have, I didn't make a. I didn't make it before I started my business. I didn't start off with a million euros or whatever. It was just me and my, my big dreams. Um, but I teamed up with an, a couple of interesting partners like uh, University of Delft. And then for uh, the comp- a company ho- called Hispen, which is now part of the Arendt Group, um, I developed uh, uh, yeah, actually the first circular design sofa out mm-hmm. there in the world. So I made their best-selling sofa into a circular version. So I made it from their own plastic waste. So together with the university, we designed, and, and a couple of designers, we designed a different um, uh, yeah, frame, in fact. So not just wood and staples and gluing it all together, like usually is the case now with furniture, but really 3D printing, actually the pr- frame from plastic um uh, foils and take yeah. back materials into a sturdy frame, printing it in such a way that you just click in the inserts and you put the fabric behind the lid. So nothing is being stapled or glued anymore. It's really easy to assemble and disassemble. And the whole frame itself, itself has a deposit. So you can also get your money, part of your money back if you bring it back because the company can refurbish it again. And this is what I did at the very start, being a novice in plastic. Uh, which won the Dutch Design Awards, which made them win the biggest tender ever so they could provide uh, furniture for the government for 10 million euros a year for the coming 10 years. And I thought, wow, if I can do this at the start, being a nerd, I don't know anything about plastics. Well, who knows? Because I'm going to learn while I'm doing. And uh, now I'm indeed much further ahead. And uh, we're doing big, big projects, mostly in packaging, uh, which are really yeah mind mind shifting I yeah. think. Okay, that's interesting that you say that because I was gonna ask. I, I saw your your slogan for the company is um, mind shifting solutions for circular plastic use. There's quite a focus on mind there. Why do you think we need to shift our minds? Yeah, I think it's because people typically say you need technological innovations. Mm. Which, yes, they can help. But I think the biggest change is in people's heads. A lot of people think that things cannot be done or things are impossible. Or um, what's the word people typically tell me? Oh, it's complicated. But it's only complicated in your head because if you actually do it and show that you that it can be done, people are amazed of, of the solutions that are out there and that are actually possible. And I think that's, that's what we mean to say with mind shifting because... Some things are typically mind-blowing because people didn't imagine they could be possible. But if you do it, you yeah, you show it, it can be done. So it's really, uh, I think that's the biggest challenge, behavioral that's change. Interesting. So you actually say that the, the technicalities and the solutions are there. If we change our minds, that's probably the biggest shift we need to make in correct. changing the world. Yeah, correct. Interesting. Um, okay, so... I find this uh, whole plastic problem quite overwhelming. Um, I know you just said the word complicated, but I, it does feel complicated sometimes, you know? Like, where do we start? What what do we need to recycle? What happens to our products if we, if we recycle? Where do they, where do they go? Um, I'm curious if you would be the plastic president of the world and you'd have all the, mo- the money and power um, that you would need 
what would you do to change this problem? Yeah, I, I understand it might be overwhelming. And that's maybe because people want to solve all the different things at once. Um, for me, data speaks for itself, so I don't have to have my, my own opinion. Um, like maybe that's what I also take from this experience being a business controller is, okay, start with the big ones. What are the biggest problem areas mm. in plastic? And then work your way back from there. So uh, packaging obviously is a big issue. Um, so what can you do in plastics, uh, in, in the plastic use in packaging? Is it a replacing? Is it reusing? So I think there's a couple of, a couple of solutions possible there. So really banning a lot of uh, things that are unnecessary and problematic and making sure there's clear guidelines on what to use and what not to use. Um, what I've seen over the years is that it's great that there's front-running companies, but you need legislation to create that mm, level yeah. playing ground. Uh, so I think legislation will need to kick in much more, having mandatory targets on reuse. We used to reuse, like our grandparents <laughs> used to reuse a lot and refurbish a lot. And we kind of went into the habit of uh, convenience and, and throwaway society, which is very weird because we have a finite world with finite resources. Uh, so we need to go back to reuse. And if the market cannot do it the, themselves, which we clearly cannot, uh, we need rules and regulations uh, to to make that possible. And at the same time, you have the bigger plastics, but you also have microplastics, which you sort of see. If you would see them as radioactive material, you would understand what I was saying. They go everywhere. Mm -hmm. They're in the air. They're the in bigger plastics water. are yeah. just the plastics we see, so yeah. packaging, uh, bags, etc. Yeah, but the microplastics are, for instance, plastics in in paint, in cosmetics. There's lots of plastics added in cosmetics. There's in, in packaging itself, but also in tires and in fabrics. Uh, like, like a lot of polyester clothing is also filled with microplastics. And they all get like in our water and in our air. In, it's in salt. It's, in, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's like you eat a credit card of plastic every week. But all oh. the microplastics even <laughs> go into... Tasty. No, it's not. But you get it in through all these different elements. And it... Usually people say, yeah, it doesn't, plastic is inert, it doesn't do anything. No, but the chemicals attached to it, they do. So it basically is in lots of animals. You see it in the Arctic. It's like everywhere in our planet. And I'm very um, concerned about the health, health impacts it will do. And like, apart from all the environmental disaster, we can already see that there's research out there showing that it has an impact on fertility from people. So um from humans so I think it's really gonna bite us in the ass like yeah. the fact that we're just spilling plastics like this uh, I know nobody does it on purpose but a lot of plastic leaks into our environment and nothing is done about it so yeah. um, we need to be much more careful um, uh, with processing plastics and I would say there's a cap on plastic production maybe for certain elements you need new plastics but it's all being derived from oil so that's not a sustainable way either it's very clear what the problem is and what serious business is doing to tackle this. Now let's dive a bit further into the company. How are they doing financially? How are they so successful in acquiring new customers? And which strategic partnerships are they building? So talking about value and price, um, of course, uh, having a company with a social mission, um, the financial side is important as well, of course. Um, are you profitable? Yes, we've been profitable as of year two, so that's great. 
Um, that's that's quite fast. It's quite fast, yeah. Um, my bookkeeper was also very proud of me, and I said, <laughs> "Yeah, but uh, I need to be able to grow a team, not just doing it by myself." I was very skeptical after the first year because I, said, yeah, I might be making a profit, but if I um, divide all the hours I made by the profit I make, then still this is not a good deal. I, I might as well just do some other job and give the revenues to a higher purpose. But after that, like, so I said, if it's still the same on the second year round, I'm going to quit this and do something else. But it was much, it was five times as high in the second year. Wow. So um, I've been growing, be able to grow the team and we are uh, profitable. Um, even we managed to get through COVID all alive and well. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we're now actually recruiting two more people. So the more profit we make, the more financial buffer we have in case something doesn't go well, but all the profits go back into the company. Mm -hmm. So the more profit we make, the more people we can recruit in the team, the more training we can get, the more access to databases, all of that. So, yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you're working with a lot of organization, uh, organizations and companies. Um, I'm quite interested to know, like y you see what is going on within those companies. Why do you think they choose to work with you? Like, what's kind of what's their biggest motivation to um, to get you on board? What I typically see is that a lot of companies are being approached either by their own employees or by the ex outside world on how they have to move, how they have to do something on plastic pollution or plastic waste. Uh, quite some companies have actually set themselves targets on how to reduce plastic waste. So making packaging, for instance, recyclable or having reuse of materials, but they have no clue how. And I think we're one of the only very few companies that can help them with the how. So we have now really good expertise and, and tools to help them on how you can move to away from plastic waste and have yeah, improvement steps in the way you use plastic. Yeah. Do you find them or do they know to find uh, where to find you? No, obviously, I still have to go out there and chase <laughs> my big impact <laughs> clients because I have a short list of companies I'd like to work for still. Uh, but more and more, we see from here, say, that companies approach us and they say, well, I know you've been working for this and this and this company. We have similar challenges. Can we talk? And this is also because I speak quite a lot at events and we share what we can, what we are allowed to say about our projects. And then that really triggers new demand as well. So that helps. So I need to be out there and talking to people. Otherwise, yeah, we, I don't have a marketing doesn't budget. Sell to, itself yeah, it doesn't yet. sell itself. And it's also, um, it's very specific. So it's business to business. Uh, for me, it doesn't make sense to spend the whole marketing budget on advertisements. I also don't have the budget for that. Uh, but so I have to have like new assignments in through the way we present ourselves at events or from hearsay. You seem to be good at that because I've been following you on LinkedIn and it, and it seems like you're everywhere, UN conferences and I see you popping up in all different uh, kinds of places. Well, thanks. Yeah, I try, but I also have good help in that area. I really have a good PR and marketing manager who uh, keeps track of which events are relevant to us ah. and where we should speak. So, um, yeah, I'm so glad I'm not doing this by myself anymore. She is really uh, the best and nobody can steal her away from me because <laughs> I need her to grow the team and, and make us yeah, stand out more. It's really, uh, uh, I think it's a critical key uh, for success if you're out there in the right places, talking to the right audience. You don't do all of this alone. You have a team of over 20 employees, but also work together with businesses, governments, NGOs, what is the role of these kinds of partnerships for you? I think it's 
for me, it's vital to work with those type of organizations. I've decided that we need two types of projects. One is like one-on-one projects where I help a company move forward. But in many regions and uh, in the world, I think you cannot do change alone as a company. In fact, you never can. But some are some regions are more challenging than others. For instance, on on large ocean states, so islands, very small islands, but very large ocean territories, um, they have no waste management whatsoever. So even if you um, supply products there, like a Unilever or a Nestle, there's no proper way of dealing with any waste. Uh, so you cannot do that, take on that challenge by yourself. And in those regions, you need systemic change. You need the systemic change projects, as we call them. So we work together with governments, with brand owners, with retailers, with waste management companies, with recyclers, with with yeah institutions, with governments. So all of these to get combined to change the system towards circular use of plastics. So having uh, extended producer responsibility in, so ha- making sure these these plastics can enter the country or not, or having a deposit scheme in, like we having in the Netherlands, but it's not so common in certain other regions. So, for instance, in Morocco, um, we have helped to help set up, a, are helping to set up a deposit return scheme together with retailers and bottlers. And this actually started by having RVO and the ministry excited about our work and asking us if we cannot duplicate our efforts somewhere outside of Europe because we have built so much expertise. Can we export this expertise to uh, regions a bit? further away like further away from from what's the de- yeah already the developed uh, area and uh, to be honest I was quite quite hesitant to move into Africa because uh, Morocco is of course a part of Africa and it was only because it was a very persistent uh, civil servant which I thought was rare at the moment but uh, um, now I've come to realize there's many more very persistent civil servant, so I, I was totally wrong there and happy to change my mind. But he was very persistent. I kept on calling and emailing me, and I thought, okay, I have to, okay, I have to go and look into this. And I talked to some of our <laughs> customers and asking if they were doing business with Morocco and what they thought of the market. And then I thought, okay, let's let's try, let's see as a test case for for certain countries in Africa if this would work in Morocco. And I must say, it's a different type of dynamics. Uh, having the backing of a ministry has helped tremendously. I could not have done it as a company by myself. Uh, So it's been actually vital to get some kind of systemic change happening in that country. Speaking of that persistent civil servant, he has left us a message. Hello, I'm Martijn Monen of the Netherlands Enterprise Agency. I was the persistent civil servant you were talking about. And I was so persistent because I felt that you could get to the heart of the supermarket change while we get stuck at the CSR office. And you did. And to the heart of of the Moroccan waste collectors. But we would have been nowhere without our embassy in Rabat. So over to Adil. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Adil Raitab, economic advisor at the Dutch Embassy in Morocco. I had the pleasure to collaborate with Serious Business on the Musa project. It was a great experience for me as it deals with the real and serious issue in Morocco, which is the management of plastic waste. The project was a success and my wish is to duplicate it on national scale to see less plastic in my country. Thank you. How does it feel to hear this? I think it makes me really proud. I'm glad to be able to team up and, and see that we can do this change together. And I'm happy to hear that we uh, successfully managed to build a partnership that is uh, continuing to look to the future and creating more impact together. Building a business 
isn't always easy. We often you know see the LinkedIn posts and the the the, the highlights of it. Um, but there's a flip side as well. Um, what looking back for you were the most difficult moments or events that that you struggle with? I think it was mostly uh, in the second, third year round um, where there were a couple of things going on um, which made me really uh, upset, I think. Um, mm -hmm. having Being an entrepreneur makes you sort of cherish your company like it's, like it's your child <laughs> or something or things are personal, which they obviously are not. It's just business. But some um, people didn't keep their stick to their end of the deal or wanted to push me away because they saw all the potential profits and they just thought they could do it by themselves. Or, mm. Yeah, I just, I thought it was unfair. Some things were being unfair and they were all coming together at a certain moment. And that felt like I was, yeah, you have this expression in Dutch, but I don't know how to say it. So it's Let's all... Let's try and translate it. Yeah, it was like Murphy's Law. Like they all come at the same mm. time and you think like, wow, I keep on fighting this. Uh, whereas I'm trying to help these people, but they're now... Yeah, working against me. Uh, so how do I turn this around? Maybe it's something in me. I know I'm very direct. I'm not so uh, diplomatic or political. So maybe that's it. But no, I think I learned from that experience as well that it's, it's, yeah, that's just me. I speak my mind. And that sometimes means that, um, uh, yeah, you did get into a clash with people because if some things happen, like that was the case back then, that I don't agree with, um, and trying, yeah, trying to be put to the side. I won't be. I won't shut up. I won't just let it go. Um, okay. I will stand up for myself. Uh, but it's not nice because, yeah, I, I took it personal, which which it wasn't. But I did take it personal. So, and um, so you say in those unfair cases, you you do stick up for yourself. Uh, I don't think everyone can do that. That's something you have to learn as well. Um, were there events in your life that made you? where you didn't stick up for yourself that made you realize, okay, this is not going to happen again. I need to stick up for myself. Or is that something that is part of your character? I think it's also part of my character where I think things are unfair. I will, I'll tell them, even if I don't speak the words, you will tell from my face that I don't agree with it. <laughs> so that's a kind of like a drawback, but also I think an asset of having an, like a very open facial expression. Uh, people can totally read my mind. So if I don't agree, they will be able to tell. Um, it's also, I'm here, I'm on a mission, and I don't want to be stopped. So that's, again, that part of my character um, that doesn't want to be put aside, especially if it's not fair. I think, um, yeah, that's, it's a, that's a value thing, right? So that's, that's something that how you also treat people the way you want to be treated. So for me, it's not, of course, or sometimes it doesn't help, right, to being that direct. So... I think in some cases I must have taken the long route. So if I would have been more diplomatic, I would have easier got what I wanted mm. in the end. But um, because I'm this uh, direct and blunt, maybe, <laughs> being Dutch as I am, it sometimes takes a bit longer to, in conflict situations to, to find a way out. Yeah. On the other hand, it also brought you far and where you are. Um, but you also said you tend to take things personally. Now, that can be, of course, quite a difficult one. Um, is that something that you've also learned to do less and less, or is that still something you struggle with? No, I think if if someone would say that our services suck, I would totally 
go into a conversation and say, so what's going on and what makes you think that? I think because the team is now bigger, I don't take it as personal anymore than when it's just me. Uh, but yeah, if if the mission of a company is so personal and close to your heart, it's, not, it's hard not to take it personal. But I've... I've also learned that the way I am now, it means that I have to cope differently. So if I see a lot of potential for a company and they still don't want to move, I don't take it personal. I just go talk to the competitors and see if they want to strike the deal. So that's also a way of coping, right? So it's it's trying so it, to keep your patience but different in a different way. So not being nagging with one customer, but really, no, if this is not the way to go, I'm the end goal is clear. It's just the route I'm taking can be more flexible. I think that's what I learned from it. So from someone who started out on her own, Willemijn now has multiple partnerships and a growing team. That means that her role is changing as well, from a starting entrepreneur to the leader of a company and managing a team. Which role suits her better? That's a tricky one. I have also asked myself that question. I actually talked to some people about it as well. If you mean I, like a coach or something? Yeah, yeah, like a coach. Like seeing, because I always try to find people that I can um, learn from in this sense. So if I'm in this role now and I have to grow as a manager, I better talk to some people that actually know how to do it because <laughs> I, I, I've only done it as an employer, uh, as, as an employee, I mean, and I have never done it as an employer. So um, yeah, what do I need to be like on the, I, like looking out for what is important how do I balance my own agenda versus yeah I want to help others move forward and be a facilitator as well as a leader I want to help people move yeah to the best of their knowledge and, and excel at what they do but at the same time I also want to keep my own energy levels high so that's something I was thinking like can I do both or uh, am I just really not so good as a manager because I, I don't feel like I'm managing so I've decided I'm not going to be a manager I definitely do not micromanage and that's always like I'm just being very open and transparent to the team as well about my own challenges or if I feel a bit stressed or if I get annoyed or and then it's great to have a team that can understand and relate to that and put it into the right perspective because yeah, sometimes it's just putting in a different perspective and yeah. then and I think if yeah. you express that in that way then people are also more likely to you know to to give the same back so then the culture um, exists out of that exactly and I always tell them it's okay if you fail at things just learn from them yeah and then do better next time mm. um Willemijn, are you satisfied with where you are now totally I didn't expect when I started that I would be here at this moment. Um, I have been constantly uh, amazing myself, <laughs> I guess, like thinking I didn't even dream about like after two years I would speak in front of the United Nations and I just spoke again and it's just it's uh, in front of that that audience and also the team where I am now and the type of assignments we're doing the type of revenues we're doing, uh, I didn't think I would get this turnover um, at all. And if, when COVID happened, I didn't think we would recover as quickly, but we did. So it's, it's every time I make a strategic plan, I don't, yeah, of course I make a plan, but I have to revise it every year. And every, every year I have to revise upwards because actually I already met the targets of next year. So mm -hmm. that, that, makes me realize as well we just had a strategic session so we talked about it a bit that's why i'm <laughs> yeah i'm well aware of it that we are totally seeing your exceeding face it targets. must have been a good strategic session it was it was <laughs> it makes you realize you're actually overperforming. like you're doing way better than i th i would have thought i would be like i'm at a f yeah i'm further ahead than i thought i would be and if 
I know that typically the numbers of um, like the first seven years of a company are decisive. Like you typically go through a couple of really hard times, which I have. Um, and sometimes it still feels like, yeah, but I'm not sure yet. Or this is still yeah, not as rigid or as firm as I want it to be. But then if I look back on all the different elements and everything that has happened and how I've learned from that and I'm d dealing with things much differently, I can totally tell that it's it's been a learning experience and I'm trying to yeah, yeah. grow even more. So you are satisfied with where you are now? What is an important pivotal moment that moved you forwards? I think there's a couple of them. One was when I was in the business half a year and I went to have this um, straight line business course, which is all about how can you improve your business and get higher revenues and turnovers. And uh, we were talking about, um, yeah, your targets and how you can improve those. And I was really still thinking about how can you, um, how can I get a thousand companies do our plastic scan? And they said, okay, how much is a plastic scan? I said, well, it's for free still because I'm, yeah, I just made it. And it's, it's a lead generator. I, I want it to work. But also at the same time, if more companies become aware, then, then they'll change faster. And I was just a bit like arguing how my social mission was much more important than turnover. And then he said, that's not a business. So um, I had to really change my attitude. I really had to reinvent myself as an entrepreneur. So wanting to do the right thing, but also going for the turnover. And um, I think that was a real eye-opener that really helped me change and shift myself as a person. Um, I also remember there's a couple of big assignments. So it's always been a balance, like all the time in, 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 in serious business, having that balance between having a social mission and having to create revenues. We're going slowly heading to our final questions. Um, Willemijn, if you and I would be sitting at this table in 10 years and I'd ask you to look back at what you have accomplished with serious business, um, what would you hope to say at that table in 10 years' time? I would have hoped to say, not in my wildest dreams would I have imagined I'm here now. Yeah. I hope I can still keep amazing myself uh, with the wonderful clients and team I have around me that can actually achieve much more than I could have imagined myself. So I have this vision of where I want to go. And like I said, I constantly have to shift because we're doing much better. So I hope in 10 years time, I, I, I'm, yeah, like I can say, not in my wildest dreams, I would have thought I would be here. Wow. Um, and... Concrete, more concrete, like for the next years, where do you, where, where is your focus going to be? I think my focus is mostly going to be on the regions we are already working in, so expanding that um, impact, uh, getting just to be. What are the regions you're working? So in? we're mostly working in Europe, and Caribbean, Pacific, and in certain countries in Africa. Uh, and for for instance, specifically for the Caribbean and Pacific, we've done quite some work in in setting up infrastructure and legislation where there's none, so having a big impact on the way plastic is treated. And we see that in certain areas in Europe as well. There, so there's legislation coming up. A lot of countries need to move to a deposit return scheme. A lot of brands are operational in those countries but do not know how to best make sure that their packaging, or for instance, is recyclable or having a circular business models. And we hope we can have a lot more impact in those regions together with major brands to, to make that work. Yeah. Sounds like um, a big but reachable dream. 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your journey. Thanks uh, I'm going to follow you. Great. Looking forward to talking in in 10 years' time. Yes. We'll meet again in 10 years' time. Let's do that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us the next episode for another inspiring entrepreneurial journey. Or maybe even start or continue your own. This podcast is powered by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Netherlands and the Netherlands Enterprise Agency. For more information about how they can help you propel your business forward, please visit rvo.nl.